This podcast is the third and final of three teachings that I recently did at Hidden Acres Christian Camp. Hey friends, I'm Tori. Welcome to Walk With Me. Walk With Me is a place where real women share real stories of real struggles and joys as they walk together along this rocky road we call life. Wow, that was really, really fantastic. Thanks so much. Yeah, the worship has been so great. So thank you, worship team. You guys have been really super awesome. And you guys, listening to your singing is really like listening to angels. It's really fantastic. You guys are talented. All right, you came back again. First, I want to tell you, I am so honored, first of all, that I'm here and you're listening to me. And secondly, that you guys are being really real and authentic and just yourselves this weekend. So thanks for doing that. And thanks for... Coming back a third time, we're going to get you out of here by game time. Um, but yeah, I'm super honored to be here with you, and there's nothing special about me. God just taught me some things, and he wanted me to teach him to you. So um, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, two things. Um, I went out and rode horses in the rain. <laughs> hey, my buddies. Who's my horse buddies in the rain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually was wearing my normal clothes then, so I didn't actually wear this on a horse. I was wearing my normal jeans and hat that I wear every other day that I'm not talking to you um, when my fancy friend doesn't dress me up. Okay, so that's my first thing. And secondly, um, I don't know the rest of you, but I found this in my cabin. Holiness or hell? I don't know, guys. I I think I'm going to choose holiness. You know, (laughs) what do you think? So that's your... That's a track that's probably not going to draw a lot of people in. So, um, I don't know, holiness or out? I'll go with holiness. So, just thought that was funny. Um, I wouldn't lay that on the table in a restaurant when you leave a tip. Probably not your best bet, okay? All right, so let's get, they really teed us up well. They teed us up well for worshiping our amazing God. Great is his faithfulness. He is holy, 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 holy set apart. So I'm going to talk to you about more, our session three, hashtag more than you can imagine. He is more than you can imagine. What's our, what's our catchphrase? You guys remember? Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. We're going to learn for the third time what is really true, and this time the truth about God. So are you believing the truth about God? Are you believing the truth about God? Are you letting him be boss? Well, now, that's a one-step-at-a-time thing. That's a one-step-at-a-time thing. It's a day-by-day, one-step-at-a-time thing where you do the next normal thing and the next ordinary thing and the next ordinary thing that God puts in front of you. And you do it with an attitude of gratefulness. And you say, God, thanks for this life that you've given me. Help me to serve you and please you by doing what you've, the very normal, ordinary things you've put in front of me. You know what? This never changes. This stays the same. It's always the same. God is the same. And so if you are looking for the ways to follow the boss, if you're looking for ways to believe the truth about you, if you're looking for ways to believe the truth about God, go read your Bible. It's all in there. 
So if belief determines feelings, and I have determined to believe what God says about me, what have I determined to believe about God? We're going to talk about that. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. To who, to who be the glory? To who be the glory? To God be the glory. Okay, I have these cute little penguin Kleenexes. Um, so uh, about five years ago, my family, and I talked about this in one of my other sessions, my family and I, we decided to go on the um, Camino de Santiago. Does anybody know what that is? Okay, it's a pilgrimage. Have you gone on it? Okay. Yeah. So it's a pilgrimage through northern Spain. It's thousands of years old, and they used to do it as like a penance, like if you were a prisoner and uh, they would put you on that, or people would do it for spiritual reasons, like if you did this, then you could earn favor with God. If you completed this, then you could earn favor with God. In fact, at the end of the Camino de Santiago, if you walk the last, I don't know, thousand kilometers, I don't know, maybe my daughter remembers, 100, only 100 kilometers. If you walked the last 100 kilometers, now you guys who don't, uh, I don't know exactly how many miles that is, because, huh? About 60, thank you, because I don't do the conversion, I'm American. <laughs> so, um, they told me in second grade that by the time I was in fourth grade, that we would be using the metric system. I'm past fourth grade now. So we were walking on that, and they said, even if you completed just the last, so you could get out of your car and walk the last 60 miles of that, and they said, once you get done with that, they'll give you a compostela, and the compostela says, hey, now all your sins are removed. People believed that. So my daughter, Tassus here, said, hey, why don't we live it up? <laughs> why don't we live it up the whole time we're on the Camino, because our sins are going to be removed at the end. <laughs> She, doesn't, she didn't know I was going to make fun of her the whole weekend that she was here. So we didn't. Well, maybe she did, but we tried to play it safe. So, yeah, so about five years ago, we were walking on the Camino de Santiago. So you're walking through northern Spain, beautiful. You see all Spain, kind of rural Spain as it is. Still people kind of pushing their cows, you know, through the streets with a stick and, you know, very, very kind of old school. So what we also did when we walked on that pilgrimage is we went through some cathedrals. Have you guys ever been through some of the cathedrals in Europe? Whoa, they're amazing. Talk about more than you can imagine. So when you walk through, let's say, the cathedrals, and we were also in Rome before that and saw like the Sistine Chapel. So you walk through the cathedrals and your, your eyes, they, they designed them in such a way really tall with beauty, beauty above you to draw your eyes upward. So you're walking, and it's just so beautiful everywhere, and that's the, that's the idea. Draw your eyes upward. And do you know what all the paintings are all about? All about Bible, all about Jesus, or not Jesus. They're probably not about Jesus since they were there. 
Um, no, they do have like Jesus. Uh, yes, the Sistine Chapel does have some Jesus. I was thinking they were built before Jesus came, but that would be a really long time ago, and they'd be standing a really long time. So erase that. Take that out of the recording. Um, so they have Bible stories. So they have depictions of, you know, the whole uh, God touching the finger. I don't really know who that is. Is that God and Adam? Okay. They have that. They have a lot of things. It just makes your mind think about spiritual things. And that was the idea. Obviously, their imaginations were captured by things like that. They were captured by spiritual things. They were captured by the bigness of God. They were captured by His holiness. And they have statues of saints. They have statues of Mary. They have statues of Bible stories. You, you just... You have to, it's so obvious that their imaginations were all caught up in the things of God. We're not like that anymore. And it struck me how that was so important to them that they put it all over their buildings. In the Westminster Catechism, who did the catechism? Do you guys do catechisms as kids? We made our kids memorize a catechism. Okay, the Westminster Catechism. Um, it, the first question is, what's the chief end of man? Who knows the answer to that? Mm, good for you. Are you just guessing? Ah, you know what? Oh, very good. That's the whole answer. Yes. Okay, so what is the chief end of man? Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys this now. What's the chief end of man? And you're going to answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay, got it? Okay, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's key, the enjoy Him forever. We can't enjoy God unless He captures our imaginations. We can't enjoy God unless He becomes huge in our minds. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. We need a view of God that is so big and so glorious and it so transforms our lives that people know what's capturing our imagination. If you have kids, they should know that you are enraptured by God's hugeness and awesomeness and holiness. They should know that that characterizes your lives because if your kids see that, they're going to fall in love with Jesus. Paul encouraged the Ephesians by dedicating the end of chapter 3 to God. And he, um, if you guys can pull out your booklets again, look at verses 20 and 21. And that's what I base this title on. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. We, I've already repeated this once, but I wanted to hear you would hear it again. Remember the holy, holy, holy? The more times you do things then it means they're very, very important. This is very, very important. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably be more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power, not our power, it's not up to us, we did nothing but sin against him, according to his power that is at work within us, because we have Jesus in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations 
forever and ever. Amen. So I have three big ideas for you. They're all about imagination. Number one, our distracted imagination. Number two, God's amazing imagination. Number three, our redeemed imagination. Guys, we're super distracted. We are super distracted as a society. And we, that causes futility in our, in, causes futility in our thinking. Futility in our thinking causes that distraction. We're so distracted. We're so distracted by things like this. We're so distracted by our computers. We're so distracted by our devices. We're so distracted by social media. We're so distracted by the news. We're so distracted. We're so distracted by everything but God. We're so distracted by the tiny minutia of our life. Romans 1.21 fits our present-day society well. It says, for although they knew God, listen closely, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you know why their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened? Because although they knew God, they neither glorified him, nor gave thanks to him. And their foolish hearts were darkened. We've allowed so many things to capture our imagination and darken our hearts today. What has already captured your imagination today? Probably even being here in this beautiful nature, probably we're still distracted. You know, when I was a kid, um, I used to watch the Jetsons. Anybody else watch the Jetsons? Jetsons are great, especially their dog. What's their dog's name? Astro. He was great. Um, he didn't talk. Now, Scooby-Doo talked. I don't think Astro talked. But anyway, I, was, I loved the Jetsons. You know why I loved the Jetsons? Because they had these little TVs, and they could, like, talk to the people and see them. And that was, like, blew my mind. That, did, that couldn't happen. Talk to the person and see them. And then we were flying to somewhere, probably Florida, with my parents at Christmas one time, and I remember it because oh, I was probably before Florida, because I was wearing these super cool fashion boots that were white. I remember that. Anyway, so I sat down at this chair in the airport, and guess what? I couldn't see another person on there, but there was a TV on the chair. There was a TV on the chair in the airport, and that was so amazing, because I didn't have this thing I was carrying around like this. Now, I could dial a number, although it would be 3 a.m. there. I could dial a number and talk to my granddaughter in minutes, and I could see her face. That's how far we have come. The Jetsons no longer fascinate children, and TVs and airport chairs don't exist because we have become a mobile society that can get information anytime we want, anywhere, and pull it up. We don't have to wonder about things. We love our devices. We are wowed by so many things. Things not worthy of our attention. But it's not like everything's getting bigger and better. You know, how long can I just sit here and watch someone fold napkins into 11 different kind of shapes? You guys know what I'm talking about. How long can I watch, you know, those videos of those dogs where they put the words with them and, and make them say things? How long can I do that? Those things capture my attention. Seriously, you all know what I'm talking about. 
Maybe you don't watch the videos of the people folding napkins or the dog and cat videos, but I know you're watching something. Those things have captured our attention, and they're not bigger and better. We just long for distractions so we don't have to think about eternity because eternity looms, and we're meant for eternity, so we're satisfied with too little. Our minds are addicted to images, sounds, and distractions, and we have no room for the majesty of God. We have allowed our technology to outrun our theology. It's Martin Luther King. We have allowed our technology to outrun our theology. Romans 8, 35-39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, I was thinking if we wrote that today, if we were writing the Bible today, maybe it would say something like, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall social media or essential oils or homeschooling or vaccinations or basketball or the Iowa-Iowa State ESPM game day game or clean eating or parenting blogs or on and on and on. We're really polarized. We like these things. We don't like these things. We tell everybody because we're so distracted by here and now. We're not thinking rightly about the majesty of God. And we're not gazing upon him enough. Our eyes are not going upward like mine were in the Sistine Chapel. A.W. Tozer, he's also a hero of mine. He says, we must practice the art of long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. This will take some effort for the concept of majesty has all but disappeared from the human human race. We must practice the art of long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. This will take some effort. Remember, we have to train our brains to think rightly. We have to train our brains to think on God. This will take some effort for the concept of majesty. It's all but disappeared from the human race. So the first one was futility in our thinking causes distraction. And the second one is lack of focus robs our imagination. Lack of focus isn't a new problem. Even the old hymn speaks of it. Remember that? Prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We're prone to wander. We're prone to look at the thing in front of us and not eternity. So reading a book published in 1895 called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, he says this. Okay, 1895, guys. 1895, not 2019. Brother Lawrence, he says this in response to some correspondence he received. You tell me nothing new. You're not the only one that is troubled by wandering thoughts. Our mind is extremely roving, When the mind has contracted certain bad habits of wandering and dissipation, they are difficult to overcome and commonly draw us, even against our own wills, to things of the earth. I think we probably have more trouble focusing today because so many things are vying for our attention. So many things are vying for our attention. You know, I was really going to make a case against your phones. I was going to say... 
guys, these are from the devil. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't. Okay, but I was, gonna, I was going to tell you to be really careful with these, and I do want you to be really careful with them. But you know what? They can be good too. And so I decided not to do that. I decided, you know what? I told you guys not to be ashamed, not to carry around shame, not to carry around guilt, but be free in Christ and go with him freedom and confidence. And so rather than tell you your phone is bad, I decided to read you something that John Piper said. So this is a really good book, and I'm reading it, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. It's all very true. There's lots of things our phones are doing to us, and they're actually changing our brains. Um, so I was going to try to tell you that your phones were destroying your imagination and making you lackluster in your quest for God. But then as I read the foreword in this book by John Piper, I decided he was smarter than I was. Who thinks John Piper is smarter than me? Yes. That's true, guys. That's God's honest truth. John Piper is smarter than me. And he's been walking with God longer. So as I read the foreword to this book, I was convicted that I wasn't going to tell you guys another thing to carry that was heavy. But instead... I wanted just to woo you to the grace of God and God's glory instead of shame you for the habits you already feel guilty about. So, Pastor Piper did not slam phone usage. In fact, he uses his phone, but he, he has to use it wisely. So, he said, if you live long enough, pray earnestly and keep your focus on the imp imperishable word of God, you can be spared the slavery to newness. Over time, you can't watch something wonderful happen. Over time, you can watch something wonderful happen. You can see it overweening. You can see, I can't see very well. That's why I can't read very well. Um, you can see overweening fascination give way to sober usage. You can watch a toy become a tool, a craze become a coworker, a sovereign become a servant. To cite Tony, the author's words, and his aim, you can watch the triumph of useful efficiency over meaningless habit. I wish I could get every young adult the taste that of eternity that grows more intense as you enter your eighth decade. A happy consciousness of the reality of death in the afterlife is a wonderful liberator from faddishness and empty-headed screen tapping. I say happy consciousness because if all you have is fear, your smartphone almost certainly becomes one of the ways you escape the thought of death. But... If you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because your sins are forgiven through Jesus, then your smartphone becomes a kind of friendly pack mule on the way to heaven. Mules are not kept for their good looks. They just get the job done. So I thought that was really good. This just helps you get your job done. But we should be wooed by the fascination and the amazingness of God our Creator. So, do you understand how incredibly small we make God today? Our society makes God incredibly small. Remember from session one, even the voice of the Lord is huge. His voice is huge. But Psalm 19, we're going to talk about Psalm 19. It's Bible time again. So, get your, get your little booklets out. And I was just going to focus, continue to focus on Ephesians. And then I was at, uh, we, we spent some time in Wyoming. And one night... Uh, my husband said, Tori, come out here and look at the stars. And you guys know what I was doing? I was looking at Instagram. And I said, hey, just a second. But when I went out there and I looked at the stars, I heard in my mind, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one of the heavens, and it makes its course to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And that's all I remember. But guys, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I was sitting, looking at my device, being captured by the smallness and the distraction. When outside, the stars were calling my name and showing me who God was. And so that's when I said, no, I can't keep talking about Ephesians. I have to talk about Psalm 19. So we're going to learn a little bit about Psalm 19. God is so much more than you can fathom, so much more than you can imagine. His imagination is wild. God has an amazing imagination. So notwithstanding the parts of Ephesians 1 through 3 that we looked at last session, when we read the Bible, we should be amazed at that that we read. We should read that with amazement. But we should also read the Old Testament and the New Testament and freak out about all the things that are happening. We were in China visiting my son about three years ago, and we were meeting with some Chinese students who had actually never heard the gospel, never heard the, the words of Jesus. And we were talking about Jesus getting arrested, Jesus being convicted, Jesus being nailed to the cross. And when we got to the story, the part of the story where Jesus dies, one of the Chinese students in my group said, they killed him? It was shocking. It was shocking they would kill Jesus, the Son of God. We should be as shocked about the things we read, not make them so normal in our minds. Think about it. Read the Old Testament and freak out when God parts the Red Sea. Read the Old Testament and be amazed when Daniel's in the lion's den still. Or that a 90-year-old woman has a baby. Come on. Seriously? Whoa. That should make you read again. Read the New Testament and be amazed that Mary birthed the Son of God. She was a teenager. Read the New Testament and be amazed that Jesus chose to be born as a baby? Who has their babies here? Who has a baby here? Can you imagine Jesus being a helpless baby? It's true. It happened. Jesus confined himself to the most helpless of beings in skin, in time, in space. He's the creator. He's God. He could do anything. He came to a dark place like the world, and he confined himself in a baby's body. Be amazed at that. Be amazed that God allowed his people to come close. Do you remember the parts of the Old Testament where he says, hey, guys, if you get close to this mountain, you're, you're dead. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, come, bring your children. We can come close to the creator of the universe. That Jesus would die for you? 
that Jesus would live a perfect life and defeat death? These are all truly amazing. We read them like we're reading the paper. Read them and be amazed. Read them and make, let them make you cry. Let it make you weep. Weep like Mary did when she poured perfume on Jesus' feet and said, I'm so amazed by your love, I want to show you by breaking this perfume and washing your feet. Guys, I could stop teaching now and we could all just leave amazed. I mean, there's going to probably be a thunderstorm here pretty soon. I want you to be amazed at God's power. I'm hoping it's not happening when you're driving home. I want God to wow you more and more with who he is. And I want you to see him every single day. And tonight, when you go, you, it, you'll have to go outside. It's not when you leave. Tonight, I want you to go out and I want you to look at the sky. Hopefully, it won't be cloudy and you'll be able to see the stars. And then I want you to think about this. We're going to talk a little bit of just three things that Psalm 19 shows to us. So open up Psalm 19, your booklets. When my son um, was 13, we let him sleep in a room in the basement. That sounds really bad, but we had rooms in the basement. We had all the kids upstairs. We let him go downstairs when he was old enough. And I painted <clears throat> the words of Psalm 19 around his room. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Because I wanted to remind him to look up and to be amazed at the glory of God. I found something online, um, and so I'm going to read some of these things that I read from Tim Chalice. Who's, who reads Tim Chalice? Do you guys know who he is? He's a great writer, and he has a blog. <clears throat> anyway, he, he gave me some of these ideas, so I just want to give him credit. So Psalm 19 shows us how God declares. He gives a declaration of who he is. The heavens declare the glory of God. So when Brent was on our little porch in Wyoming and said, hey, Tori, come see the stars, he was wanting me to come and see God declaring himself. When we look at the universe, we see first and foremost the majesty of God. God could have created 50 or 100 or even a million stars to declare something about his character. Our minds would reel at the significance of one million stars each one far beyond our reach, each one different from every other, each one formed and known by God, but 300 sextillion? That's making an even bigger statement. That's making a statement not just about power, but about complete, absolute, transcendent power. When you look up to the night sky, you see God making a statement about himself. The heavens convict hearts. The heavens convict us that God is real and that God is not just powerful, but all-powerful. They convict us as humans. God did not create the stars so the dogs or cats or birds or fish could see them and enjoy them and marvel at them. No animal has ever gazed up at the sky and wonder and sought to count them all. No other life form has ever built a telescope to study them closer, to measure them, to name them. The heavens are a message from God to us, a message that convicts us of his power and his authority. God regards us in such a way that he would give us the stars as a means of moving our hearts to praise to him. So when you see stars... Let it move you to praise to God, to convict us of his existence, of his power, of his authority all over the universe. 
They convict us in such a way as to leave us with no excuse. Only a fool, in the biblical sense of the word, could look at the sky and say, God does not exist. The heavens are a proclamation. The heavens provide us with insight. The stars do not only declare God's magnificent power, but they also tell us about his character. The heavens proclaim that God loves us and will give us what brings joy to our hearts. Did you guys see the moon last night? Was that amazing? So bright, so round, so beautiful. The heavens proclaim that God loves us all and will give us what brings joy to our hearts. That brought joy to my heart. God did not need to create so many stars, and he did not need to create them to be so beautiful. But by making the stars and galaxies so wondrous, so majestic, he gives us joy and pleasure. He could have just made the night sky without stars, but he didn't. Who has not felt the chill of pleasure looking up in the night sky and seeing the sheer beauty of what the Lord has made? What Christian has not felt his heart move to awe and to praise? The heavens provide us pleasure because God loves us and loves to bring us pleasure. Did you know that? God loves you. He loves you lavishly. He loves to bring you pleasure. They're beautiful to us as humans, not to the plants or animals or rocks or seas. When we make God big, he redeems our imagination. And to redeem our imagination, we can do these things. We can view the story of the gospel with wonder. That will make your imagination thinking about the right things, the right things you should be wondering about. We're so familiar with all this. seems so common. You know, I have this little mirror in my purse. It just kind of pops open. And when Joelle, my granddaughter, was home, she was fascinated with it. All it is is a tiny little mirror. You can pop it open. It has a, br a brush on one side. It has a mirror on the other. It was fascinating to her. Very simple. In the same way, even the simple stories of the Bible should fascinate us because they're amazing. Read the Bible as if you were reading it for the first time. Read nature. Go on a walk. Go on a walk here. Go on a walk. Look at all the things God has created. Look at the ways the leaves are starting to change. Look at how the rain falls from the sky and feeds the earth what it needs. I looked around when I was riding horses. And, guys, it's, this is a beautiful place. This is a beautiful place, even in the rain. So read the Bible. Read nature. Don't allow your imaginations to be filled up all the time. You don't need to be distracted all the time. When you're waiting at a doctor's office, sit around and look at the people. Study people. We want to be constantly entertained. Don't run to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Still your mind. Remember, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child beside his mother. I have stilled and quieted my soul. Still, quiet your soul. Don't say, okay, I have a few minutes so I can... I can just distract myself with my phone. You can do that, but don't make it your default. Make your default say, oh, you know what? I have a Bible app on here. I'll read some Bible because I haven't read my Bible today. So you don't have to be constantly distracted. We think we have to be constantly distracted. Don't run to the next thing. So view the gospel, the story of the gospel with wonder. Gaze on Jesus. We must gaze on Jesus. We must gaze on Jesus more than we gaze on anything else. Remember I talked about clearing my vision in the last session? Are you clearing your vision by gazing on Jesus? Are you gazing or are you glancing? We had a sermon in Cornerstone, um, and Saul, 
the guy who was preaching said, you have to gaze on the Word of God. You can't just glance at it. Okay, you have to gaze. The more you gaze, the more you'll be amazed. The more you gaze, the more you'll become like it. <clears throat> be careful with social media. Like I said before, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Um, totally say, don't do social media. I do social media, but be very, very careful with pop culture. Pop culture is all about self. Pop culture is all about looking and gazing at yourself. You want to be gazing at God. <clears throat> Just be aware of what our society values and be set apart. Be holy. Be set apart. Okay? Gaze on Jesus. Thirdly, you must admit we serve a lavish God. He is lavish. He gives you more than you need. He gives you more than you could ever deserve or earn. Remember Ephesians 1? Does that sound like God's skimping on you? He's not. We're spoiled by having too much. We have too much. We're not very grateful. We're unimpressed by even the simple joys in life because we want the next big thing. You've all heard that famous C.S. Lewis quote about, you know, we're offered a holiday at sea, but we're satisfied to, to make mud pies in the slum because we don't understand what's offered to us. God's amazingness and grandeur is bigger and better than you can possibly imagine. The smaller you get, the easier it is to see this. Make yourself smaller and you'll understand how very undeserving you are. That works really well, standing and looking at a, star full of sky, uh, a sky full of stars. You feel very, very small. And lastly, we must long for our real home. Our real home is not here. This is kind of like, you know, you guys were here. You stayed in a cabin. It was temporary. You knew it wasn't your real home. You knew you were going home. A lot of you probably long for your real bed. I know I long for my real bed because I slept with my daughter last night. She does a lot of quick kicking in her sleep. So I was longing for my real home. In the same way, this isn't our real home. It's just a mist. It's just like a hotel room. Don't get too comfy here because it's not your real home. Your best days here on earth are going to be your worst days in heaven. So keep walking in obedience step by step very normal things that God places in front of you, very ordinary things like washing dishes and changing diapers and making supper and cleaning up after supper. Those are the things that God has given you to do. So walk and wait. You know, the things we think are beautiful here on earth, they're just kind of the scent. They're not the thing itself. They're only like the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. C.S. Lewis says, that's us longing for heaven. We're stuck in time. We're yearning for eternity. You know, um, Edwards, um, Jonathan Edwards, he, he prayed as a famous prayer, and he said, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs because he wanted it to be so ever-present in his mind that this was not his home. We're obsessed with here. God's obsessed with heaven. Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand." So remember, believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. So when you leave here today, 
I pray that you remember God's honest truth, the things that you've learned here about who he is, about who you are, and about how to achieve a deeply satisfying life in Jesus. So remember, to have a deeply satisfying life in Jesus, you have to remember these three things. God's a boss. Make him the boss. We are lavishly, lavishly, lavishly loved and blessed by him. And he is more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's really true. That is God's honest truth, and only that will make you happy. Okay, I'm going to pray for you guys before we worship again. And I wrote this prayer in my journal a while back, but sometimes I look through my journals because sometimes I think nothing's happening in my life. And then I go back and I see, oh, no, no, you prayed for that. God granted it. He's working. He's leading. So I found this, and I thought it was very appropriate. So I'm going to read you the prayer that I prayed to God. I'm going to read it for you and pray that you will, you will pray these same things to God when you're with him alone. Okay, so why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to pray to the creator of the universe. I said, God, forgive me for allowing so many things to capture my imagination. They're not worthy. You are. Help me to worship only you, to gaze upon the beauty that is you, to be enamored with the word of God and with the God that you are. You tell me to seek ye first, and all these things will be added to me. But God, it's all these things that mesmerize my mind. I want to grasp how wide and long and high and deep your love is. I want to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want to desire you more than I desire myself. I want my life to be hidden in yours. Consume my thoughts and my appetites and my attitudes. Impress me with your greatness and your glory. You've rescued me from the dominion of darkness and you've transferred me to the kingdom of the son you love. How can I not be overflowing with thankfulness? How can my heart yearn for fake food? Nourish me with the abundance that is in you. Let me drink in the richness of your wisdom. Let me bask in the lavishness of your love. May it be so. Amen. Be blessed. Sometimes when I want to make a new friend, I'll say, come walk with me. So thanks for joining us today on this walking and talking journey as we walk together and strive to keep in step with Jesus.